coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> I love it, though. Now me, I not only drink really, I really drink. We are Buzz on Movies. I literally just popped my gin to pour more. Sorry. <laughs> that sounds like a good time to start as any. All right, so... <laughs> Welcome to Buzzed On Movies. Welcome. Uh, I'm Teddy. And I'm Matt. And we're here to talk to you about uh, movies, about going to the movies, and uh, just about how fun they can be. Um, We both really enjoy going to the movies, and we think not enough people enjoy going out to see a movie these days, so we're here to talk that up a bit. Exactly. We are looking to make it exciting. Uh, going to the movies is great. It's pretty magical, actually, if you get the right movie. Pretty crummy if you get a bad audience, but life goes on. Yeah, I always enjoy going to the movies. Um, a little bit about me. I've uh, I've studied uh, film in the past uh, in college, worked at movie theaters. I've um, done a little film production of my own, worked at... Uh, public access station so um i i like to see both sides of uh the film industry and um i'm just really interested in movies and here to talk about them that's true i have also studied movies uh so i guess i studied film a little bit in college i was actually going to do the minor and then i got mad at uva for not allowing me to double minor so i didn't declare any minors uh but i basically took the credit requirements so kind of a bummer on my part i have worked as a projectionist at a movie theater so i have some background there as well i've also just done basic supervision at a movie theater i forget about that sometimes um (laughs) but uh yeah i guess that's uh where i'm at i just love movies i'm always seeing movies and probably talking about them too much when people don't want to hear so this is exciting all right in case any of you are wondering we do have a drinking game going where every time say the word movies you're supposed to drink so i'm sure most of you are pretty far in by now um (laughs) but um yeah i i'm i feel like um having both of us having both worked at movie theaters specifically as a projectionist um um at least for me like having spent that much time in the theater um i mean when i worked there i couldn't get away from it quickly enough but uh, nowadays i find myself trying to get back to the theater as often as I can. Um, I absolutely agree. I feel like I spent so much time there. I mean, it definitely gives you a unique perspective on just the experience of going to the movies. It changes the way you walk into a theater, the way you conduct yourself. Um, but also, yeah, it is funny now to think like I was always like ready to fly out of there at the end of my shift. But uh, <laughs> now I'm like always trying to get back and looking at job listings to see if I could like get back into working at one again. So okay what was i thinking but yeah let me tell you when i was working like those uh like 15 hour back-to-back double shifts i definitely wasn't thinking about uh uh how many times i could try to go in a week but now uh well with the new subscription services for uh movies uh i've definitely been trying to go as often as i can um we're both pretty into that these days um well we used to we used to use Movie Pass, but uh, that officially am canceled. Oh I, wow, really? I called it off. Yeah, I'm probably uh, my cycle cancel. was ending yesterday, so I canceled it the day before because I was like, yeah, there's just no 
I didn't use it for two months. It's hard. Yeah, t- times are times are tough for the movie Pass Faithful. Um, yeah. I, I find it harder and harder to uh, maintain the subscription, but um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, I really do hope it makes a comeback someday. I do. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll be back on board for now. I'm happy with my AMC A list. I can see three movies a week, and there's a lot of AMCs here, so I get yeah. some options. AMC A list is great. AMC, if you're listening, uh, we're still looking for a sponsor. Would love that sponsorship. Yeah, uh, pulled a double feature there today. Bought some food and drink, so you know, I'm a good customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I guess we should start out by talking about what we've seen recently. I mean, um, yeah, I spent myself, I spent a bunch of this weekend at the movies. Um, I saw um, Bohemian Rhapsody first and then uh, A Star is Born on Sunday. So um, I'm pretty, um, pretty full up on the musical biopics at this point. But <laughs> uh, I think they were both pretty good. I had a good time. What about you? great. Yeah, so I saw, uh, most recently I saw Bohemian Rhapsody. I saw that tonight. Uh, I recently, I've also seen Boy Erased, uh, which I'd been looking forward to since I read the book and they heard they were making the movie. Um, I saw Star is Born pretty recently, not quite as recently as you, uh, but I have seen Suspiria also fairly recently. So I've been a lot within the past like week and a half, I'd say. There's a there's a lot that I can say about every single one of those movies. Um <laughs> because i can't watch a movie without having like about a million thoughts um at any given time i feel yeah i mean i definitely um had some thoughts too um if we want to start out by talking about bohemian rhapsody i guess um yeah that's what we both saw most recently um right yeah so oh i think we both had uh well we we had um different takes on it somewhat uh, <laughs> yeah i i think i maybe had a slightly stronger take overall on bohemian rhapsody um i guess in case anyone is unaware bohemian rhapsody is a biopic uh supposed to be chronicling queen uh definitely just freddie mercury obviously is really the focus there um so i i mean i think it's safe to say we were both looking forward to it i think we would probably both class yeah. ourselves as queen fans mm-hmm. um, I personally felt uh, pretty let down by the movie just in its take on uh, Freddie Mercury's queerness and uh, how it depicted the his struggle with AIDS. Um, I thought that that was really uh, sloppily done, and especially the AIDS thing was uh, pretty offensively handled by the end of the film. But there's some good there. There's high production quality, um, a lot of great music, obviously, uh, but that's not really to the movies. I mean, I can't put that that's not a credit to the movie that music existed beforehand yeah i mean a queen biopic is gonna have a lot of queen music in it and that that's sort of like the baseline level of what you can expect right um i mean personally um i i agree with you on um a bunch of those criticisms i thought for the most part it was it was a fun movie you got to hear all the queen songs you got to see uh rami malek do a pretty good uh freddie mercury act um the guy who did uh, Brian May, I thought was my favorite. I thought he did a really good job. Um, that was Gwilym Lee, just to oh, uh, shout yeah. out to Gwilym Lee. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, um, he, I mean, I thought the cast was great. Obviously, Rami Malek was awesome. He really, really did, I think, capture Freddie Mercury's 
just overall eccentricity and greatness mm-hmm. um, in in an awesome way. I think it's clear that Rami Malek really cared too, just from all of the interviews and stuff that he did. I think he really was passionate about his portrayal of Freddie Mercury, which is awesome because it's an important figure to be portraying. If you're going to portray that that character, I mean, I guess character is the wrong word, but sort of. I think Freddie Mercury would be okay with me calling him a character. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Freddie Mercury, in a way, was uh, a character that uh, Farouk Bursala was playing. What was that was his name? Farouk, Farouk. yeah. Um, and I mean, also just I mean, general knowledge about Freddie Mercury. He um, he was you know this like massively flamboyant figure on stage, but by all reports, was pretty private and sort right. of reserved in actual life. Um, which I guess isn't doesn't always come across in the movie. I would say. Um, he yeah. seems a little flamboyant also just like outside of the stage persona, but um, he definitely, it seems from all like anything you read about him, he had his stage persona and then he was a pretty intensely private man. Yeah. I feel like um, there's, there's a point in the movie there at the, um, which he, oh yes, yes. Uh, when he's talking to um, the guy who's part of the management, who's also gay and is uh, hitting on him. And he you says, mean, uh, Paul, to be yes, clear, Paul, Paul Printer, yeah, who is the Paul villain of this film. Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, he's saying, like, essentially, like, you don't love me. You love, uh, like, who you think I am, like, this Freddie Mercury character or whatever. But I felt like at that point, we didn't we didn't really have a clear image of what the uh, contrast there was, like, what his public persona versus his private life was. And I feel like they never really um establish that clearly enough they didn't i feel like they wanted to maybe towards the end i feel like there were moments where they thought that like i don't know i mean i also think that this was sort of a a bad way again just to come back to the aids thing i mean the way it it sort of made it like his diagnosis became a way for him to like find himself again or something like that not saying that people don't find themselves in the face of tragedy i think definitely that sort of thing can happen uh however it is a pretty um, sunshiny take on a pretty devastating illness that yeah. thousands of queer people. So Yeah, and um, you don't really have to see him go through the worst of it because the film uh, basically ends shortly after his diagnosis. And they also sort of um, retool the whole timeline of when he finds sure. out to make so, it more dramatically convenient. So obviously he didn't announced to the world that he had AIDS until basically the day before he died. Um, However, by all reports from Jim Hutton, who is depicted, I think positively in the movie, which is great. um, You know, that's his, uh, his male love interest by the end of the end of the film. Um, You know, he didn't, he wasn't diagnosed until 87. The movie ends in 85. um, Yeah. Which is, you know, a strange choice to, take his diagnosis and reappropriate it for this weird emotional sort of like positive uplifting thing. I don't know. I just, I, that kind of left me feeling a little sick, you know, it's a, it's, you can't, I don't know. This was a serious disease for a lot of people, especially in that time period. And I mean, obviously it killed him and he is an icon and not just because he, you know, died because of AIDS, but also that was a big, I mean, that's a big part of why he is an icon to a lot of queer people, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that that was important. Um, and I think that it 
really completely misuses it and mishandles it for completely like manipulative purposes, which is really pretty disgusting, uh, which is a bummer because I think the movie does, even though it is pretty sanitized throughout, it is hitting a lot of good beats for a while. It's sort of, um, it is uplifting. It is exposing people who might not have been totally familiar with queen to Mm -hmm. more about them. And like, I think it's easy now to not necessarily know how sort of flamboyant and important Freddie Mercury's stage persona was to a lot of people. Um, yeah. The whole band anyway. I mean, I know growing up, I obviously grew up listening to a lot of Queen. I, I grew up listening to classic rock thanks to my dad, but I didn't see videos or anything all the time. I just had the music. Um, so being able to have that visual is pretty awesome. I think to a lot of people, I don't think that everyone necessarily knew what he was like. Um we do live in the internet age. Maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't have that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I feel like they um, they had this idea going in of how they wanted to tell the story, and um, I feel like the, at least from what I heard, is that the band uh, or the surviving members of the band sort of um, intervened a little heavily on this movie. Um, and tried to make the story a lot more of the sort of the typical band biopic, like the rise and fall of a great band, rather than more of a in-depth exploration of Freddie Mercury's character and um, his particular struggles with AIDS. So I uh, guess my answer to that is that um, that makes sense in one way, although... Um trying to frame queen as a sort of your average normal band in any capacity makes no sense. Uh, They just weren't. Um, There hasn't really been a band like queen since queen. There wasn't a band like queen before queen really, but you could argue like on cultural impact, you had like the Beatles, obviously things like that. Um, But since queen, I mean, you think about the nineties and two thousands, there hasn't really been a band that achieved that just like massive phenomenal success. Um, you maybe have some like solo artists, but that's not quite the same as what Queen did. I mean, just think about how enduring the "We Will Rock You" chant has become. Sure, we uh, will rock you. Um, think about we are the champions. Later. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody has enjoyed a lot of love too. Uh, one good thing to come out of this movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, is number thirty-three on the Billboard Hot 100 this week. Wow. Um, yeah, pretty rare for a movie or for a song to come back for a third time. So that's pretty awesome, I think. Um, if there are some good things to come out of this, it's definitely just yeah. like more exposure. Um, I will say last weekend I went out dancing at a gay club and they did play Bohemian Rhapsody and I felt pretty good. I was like, <laughs> I bet this wouldn't play if this movie weren't like coming out right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that I think the movie's going to definitely get them a lot of new fans who haven't heard it before. Um, sure. They do sort of go a little heavy on trying to get all their hits in there. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> telling the story of just about every song. And well, um, okay, well, <laughs> that could also be lodged as a complaint, right? Um, no, I mean, exactly. Yeah they, yeah, they go they go too heavy on that in my mind. It could. I mean, it's really exciting to hear it. Some of the high points of were definitely when they did showcase certain songs. I mean, um, Obviously, we are the champions towards the end is a very emotional and exciting moment. Um, yeah. But, you know, the the creation of Bohemian Rhapsody is obviously pretty joyful and exciting to watch. Um, mm-hmm. Whether or not that's true, I have no idea uh, <laughs> the way it was done there, but whatever. 
Um, it looked like it was fun and it seems right from everything I know about them. Um, I think, um, was it a uh, fat bottom girls? Great, great performance. Uh, super into that. So, <laughs> um, but I was definitely listening to that this morning. I just... <laughs> yes. That's oh yeah. The... Um, I mean, it's a great song. It's, yeah. but, uh, so I thought that was pretty, I, there's a lot of exciting performances and stuff here. Um, yeah. but you were saying, little... you were what? saying earlier, it seems like they basically came up with every song out of a fight that they had. Pretty they much. did. And I, I have a lot of questions about that. Like, so we're supposed to believe that every time this band had an, had a disagreement, it ended with somebody just like strumming a guitar or like playing a piano and coming up with like the refrain of their next major hit. I don't know. <laughs> that seems untrue. It seems like probably more often than not, their best hits came out of agreement, first of all. And second of all, I, it just, there's only but so many times you can use that same plot device. Yeah. Like they, they do it multiple times. So it's like, okay, we get it. We get it. <laughs> I really can't get over. They get into a, you know, it's at one point when Freddie has sort of started hanging out just with Paul Printer and he's going off and doing his thing and getting drunk all the time and showing up late, comes back, almost gets into a fight with Brian May. And in the middle of the fight, uh, I guess it was it was John Deacon who starts playing um, Another One Bites a Dust in it, or was it? Yeah, um, on the bass. Yeah, it was him. Yeah. And he just starts playing it and they're like oh great we're we're done fighting now it's like it's just like two on the nose um basically like oh i would hit you right now if that bass lick wasn't so sexy yeah (laughs) which like totally fair however i mean they've done that earlier in the movie like they've done that multiple times i mean think about even Mm -hmm. when freddie met uh his future bandmates early in the movie when he's not even going by freddie at the time i guess um and he's like they dismiss him and his way to fix their dismissal is to just start singing. (laughs) I mean, it's like at any given time when there's a disagreement, somebody just starts playing music, which I guess could be a thesis from the movie. I don't know. Maybe the movie wanted to say something about music's capacity to fix things and patch, patch relationships up. Um, I'm not sure that it ever really actually expounded on that theme at all. So I don't think that's real, but Mm-hmm. Given it the benefit of the doubt, maybe uh, just because it meant that we could hear more great music. Yeah, um, I feel like in my mind the the biggest part missing from the movie was the ending. Um, it just felt sort of strange that it ended at that uh, that concert for Live Aid, um, where like after they had quite a bit of a career after that as well. Um, sure i mean but also like that's like the bulk of freddie's struggle with aids was after that and uh obviously i feel like they didn't really want to show that but um, so okay the... so i think you're right that they didn't want to show it which is it's so strange that they then decided to take the diagnosis and the whole aids his whole his whole battle with aids and move it into the time frame of the movie when they could have just ended it with the live aid performance and never touched it. I mean, I know that would also be doing a disservice to him, but it would almost have been better to just not touch that part. If you were going to do it so poorly and clearly not want to touch right. it. Right. Yeah. Like you know? might as well just adopt a totally hands-off attitude. If that's the tact you're going to take. Right. 
I mean, they were really trying to squeeze a lot into one, what, two hour, 14 minute movie. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as it was, like, I felt like we both could have seen more. And at the same time, um, it was starting to feel like it had been quite a long time in the theater. So, um, right. I do I mean, feel yeah, like they probably ran up on trying to cut back for time. You know, kind of somewhat ironic is that a large part of the movie, a large plot point in the movie is like sort of like focuses around the band wanting to put out a six minute song, <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, and the the label saying, no, 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 we can't do that. And they eventually just do it anyway. The movie really obviously tried to make itself like as commercially like appealing as possible, mm-hmm. gave itself a sort of truncated runtime to not even touch the AIDS ordeal. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they could have learned from the band. Um, right. <laughs> just maybe, go with the longer one. Yeah, maybe a film more befitting of Queen would have been like a three and a half hour. Um, oh, sure, director's the, cut. Yeah, director's cut where they like go off on bizarre segues for like half an hour. That I guess really... it is worth mentioning mm-hmm. there um, that the direct there were some director struggles with this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. It was it was Brian Singer obviously is credited as the director, uh, but Fletcher came on at some point in the movie. Reports were creative differences between Singer and the rest of the team. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of problems with Brian Singer. Obviously, there are some nasty allegations out there about him, and I am inclined to believe victims when they talk about sexual harassment. Yeah. Um, but I do have to say that I think probably Brian Singer, if he had been left to do the whole project, would have done a better job with some of the aspects related to just uh, Freddie Mercury's queerness. It clearly got sort of botched at some point down the line, um, as since Brian Singer is, you know, a pretty open gay man himself. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know much about Fletcher, I guess I should say, but <laughs> That's true. I mean, Any time a film has to change directors, it's going to be kind of iffy. Bad sign. Just a really... Yeah, and you know what? I was right. I looked up Fletcher, and he... I mean, maybe he is queer in some way, but he is um, married to a to a woman, it seems. so. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I mean, if we take Freddie Mercury as an example, that doesn't necessarily rule anything out. But Well, there's another part <laughs> of the movie that... Um, sort of a lot of people have taken issue with and i'm inclined to agree it sort of erases the fact that he was a bisexual man um yeah he he, uh mary austin was not by all reports the last woman he was with um yeah and it decides to conveniently paint him as just gay um not okay that's uh i mean that's a prevalent issue just like in mainstream media in general now that we've gotten like through the fight and we're starting to get gay representation they've decided that bisexual representation is not anymore mm-hmm. yeah um so that's also a problem i mean it it just didn't really know what to do with his queerness i think that it seems like maybe the movie didn't want to handle it um but sort of had to because it is 2018 and also just mm-hmm. because you're talking about freddie mercury um yeah and so they sort of show his queerness through uh like montages of him going to these gay clubs and stuff like that which is already i mean i even overly touching on it yeah it's sort of uh they skim past it that you notice they never more than like a a pretty tame kiss does he ever have any time with a man um Mm -hmm. you could say the same of with a woman this was a pg-13 movie you didn't get a ton of like nudity or like sex or anything like that but he does spend a lot more time with Mary Austin. Um, mm-hmm. And um, 
then he like, I don't know, the way it sort of presents his like coming to grips with his sexuality, like it's like this like definite predator type guy comes on to him and that's how he realizes. And then he goes down this slippery slope of just like drinking too much and going to gay clubs where it's like dark red lighting and leather masks. Like, yeah, it sort of presents it in this really like weird, dark, like almost like hellish landscape. And it's like, that's like, I don't know. What are you trying to say here? And then it ends with that's how he contracts AIDS. I don't know. Uh, not really the best look. Well, there. it does remind me of like kind of a 70s, 80s view of homosexuality. It does. And um, that it's like very dark and underground. So, right. Um, I agree with that. It, it sort of felt like it was still in that time period. Like it, the mindset was still of the 70s or 80s. Um, yeah. As opposed to one that has been privileged with uh, some 2018 knowledge which we all have so it could have could have used that but you know um it's okay i guess maybe uh, yeah. i guess overall the movie had a lot of i think it wanted to have good intentions but it really botched a lot of it part of that due to director differences obviously and then just the writing i guess i don't really know much about anthony mccartan um Maybe he had great intentions, but his his handling of, you know, the characters here, I thought, left a lot to be desired. Mm-hmm. And in some cases was pretty offensive. Um, just a shame because you've got a great central performance from Rami Malek and the rest of the cast is good, too. Um, great production quality, great songs with some really compelling, like, performances that we get to see. You know, yeah. but... my biggest complaint overall, I mean, I thought. For the most part, it was, you know, it was kind of a fun movie. It definitely um, felt like it was trying to say more than it really managed to say. Yes. Um, but my, my biggest complaint was they um, they spend so much time trying to shoehorn this ending in at Live Aid where like the Queen and Freddie Mercury story, at least in my mind, has a very perfect like couldn't scripted any better ending to it which is um the story of them recording the show must go on um which is a song that they use in the end credits so clearly they knew that it existed um but basically the story of them recording that song is that um it has a very difficult vocal part on it and um uh basically freddie mercury was on his deathbed deathbed at the time um, when they were recording it and Brian May didn't think that he'd be able to sing the vocals on it. And um, so they, they were in the studio basically. And uh, Freddie just uh, does a shot of vodka and says, I'll fucking do it, darling. And <laughs> does it in one take. And that's the song that we can still hear to this day. Right. Um, so I think like you could have ended the movie on that. Just had him. um had him say that, start singing the vocals, and then like fade to black over the credits with that song. Would have been playing. a much better ending. Yeah. Instead, we more had dramatic, to... and you could see like the the very end of his um, his uh, aid cycle. Right. They could have actually done it some justice. Yeah, you could actually see him coming to grips with it and putting out like one last gasp of creativity. Oh. It's in yeah. my mind that's how the movie ends. 
but well that's a great i am so happy for you (laughs) (laughs) in my mind the movie ends the way it did and i (laughs) um (laughs) um yeah it's just hard to shake it's sort of like it sucks because i mean Freddie Mercury is as as a gay man. Freddie Mercury is an idol of mine. Um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he's somebody that I've always really admired since I've you know been an out person. And it you know this is something I was really excited about, and just to see it do such a disservice to such a huge part of his life and a huge part of his impact to a lot of people. Um, they I don't know. It's just like it's hard to wash that that taste out of my mouth and look at the good things, which I should do. I, you know, mm-hmm. there was good, like I said, but um, I totally agree with you on the ending. The, I mean, they had a great, they had it right there in front of them <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. they just decided not to do that. I don't understand. Um, uh, uh, Freddie Mercury, like clearly like was like, I need to be remembered some way when they make a movie about my life. He like <laughs> set it up for them. He like, wrote his own <laughs> ending. You don't have to go out of your way to find this stuff. I mean, there's only one man in the world who would have literally the his own ending to his biopic. It's him, <laughs> and he did it, and they ignored it, and that's a yeah. bummer. He right now, somewhere beyond this world, is very upset. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that that's our review of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Freddie Mercury is very upset. So no, he is definitely upset right now. Um. <laughs> episode title freddie mercury is very upset right now um yeah. <laughs> well on we do have another music based movie that we saw this week that we can yeah. talk about here uh easy right. flow we did see a star is born um i think we have thoughts on that hopefully i mean i have more positive thoughts on that i will say than bohemian rhapsody so hopefully yeah. the same is said for you i think i also like this one a bit more um if we're trying to make this transition as smooth as possible, uh, we can also talk <laughs> about the gay elements in uh, Star is Born. Um, sure. The, one of the early scenes uh, takes place at a drag club, um, which uh, was definitely one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Uh, yeah. It was funny. It was real. Um, it made it distinctly 2018, I thought. Like, this wasn't... It it couldn't be like any of the other A Star Is Born iterations in that moment, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas I think there are some other parts of the movie, and I'm sure we'll talk about it soon, uh, that do feel a little more old fashioned. Um, that was one that was distinctly it's now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very current. Um, and um, as a RuPaul's Drag Race fan, I was glad to see uh, Willem and Shangela in that scene. <laughs> uh, I I'd heard that there were actual queens from uh, RuPaul on the sh- uh in the movie um but i i didn't know which ones and it was a pleasant surprise um and i just i liked overall the um the fact that like the drag club was shown as like a place where um it was a place for creativity a place for artistry not a place that they showed up to like laugh at the drag queens and be like how ridiculous is this like right. they, they showed like all the creativity that could go on there. It's also um a really early example in the movie of how performance is how you can be like your truest self, even if performance means like over the top and like campy, you know, things like that. Um, because you're in a drag bar, it is a campy space. Um mm-hmm. which we love. We love that. Um <laughs> 
and you know it's 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 a nice sort of setup for what's to come um and sort of the conflict that i think is central to the movie which is between jackson Maine's sort of like i don't know what the word is rugged rustic style of music and performance ship um and ali's sort of more like pop and perform and sort of like over the top performance based um Mm -hmm. and so i think it i think it's a nice setup for sort of what's to come later is just uh being in this like really exciting and fun and dynamic performance space where uh, people can just be their truest selves, whatever that means. Yeah. I personally, I mean, I liked the movie. Um, I think that it, I think that at times it doesn't necessarily know what it wants to say about some of the questions it raises, but I think it does raise good questions and sort of tries to, tries to raise to the service some cool themes about music and performance and identity. Um mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty exciting. I think it uh, more than something like Bohemian Rhapsody, it actually does want to engage the conversation rather than sort of sanitizing rougher edges. It is willing to put the questions out there and not necessarily answer them fully. And, uh, you know, um, I know before we started recording, we had a conversation about how whether or not the movie supports Ali going out and being a pop star or not. Um, and I think it's willing, I think it's brave that it's willing to not necessarily answer that question, even if it is kind of frustrating at the same time. You yeah, know, like, I, I think it keeps it kind of vague um, in that it's it's clear that uh, Bradley Cooper's character thinks that um, her music's been watered down somewhat by the commercialism, that by doing more uh, straightforward pop, that she's been uh, like commercialized, her identity's been taken away somewhat. And he um, seems to be very depressed by that. But it the movie doesn't really seem to be clear whether that's actually what's happening or that's just his perception of things. Like, it seems like she's um, she's mostly fine with doing pop. She actually likes it um, for the elements that for the times that it does seem like commercialism is attempting to whitewash her somewhat. She very clearly pushes back. Like she tells the dancers not to come on stage with her. She refuses to dye her hair blonde and picks her own color instead. Um, but um, uh, Bradley Cooper's character doesn't really seem to see that. Um, so I guess, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think that it's really important that it shows Ali's character pushing back on some of those other side. I don't want the dancers out there. I don't want to do this. Um, you know, it may also still plaster her face on a giant billboard at one point, but mm-hmm. it's sort of it. The movie itself is wrestling with the same question that I think it's presenting to us and it doesn't necessarily have a clear answer. And I think that that's okay. Yeah. Because I think that's sort of, first of all, very, very relevant to now just with the state of like music always in flux. Um, I think that that's totally fine. I think that it's a, a nice parallel to where we are these days. And furthermore, mm-hmm. I think, um, I mean, Jackson Maine has a lot of issues with what she does and just where music culture is going in general. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie, I don't know. I think the the biggest problem that it sort of has is that it's not sure how to handle how he reacts either. Right. Like, his sort of spiraling depression and stuff like that. And then of course, um, eventual suicide at the end of the film is, I don't want to say it's glorified, but it's not necessarily like, I don't know. It's not treated the in a way that makes it seem unglamorous either. Right. 
Um, it's sort of yeah. like it's like this like the classic myth of like the rock legend, right? They right. spiral yeah. out yeah. of control. They they they're so good and so tortured that they just can't can't contain themselves anymore. So they turn to substance abuse and eventually suicide. It's a pretty dangerous myth. Um, one that I don't think should be supported. I don't think the movie is intentionally trying to support it, but I think sort of as a relic, just from it's being a story that has been told over and over for a long time, does sort of carry this baggage of an old fashioned mentality. Um, yeah. that I think it's trying to work against with some of its thoughts on Ali and like the, you know, the drag bar we mentioned earlier, but it still has those trappings. And I think that that's important to mention at least. Yeah. I think it, it tries to sort of um, not glamorize his substance abuse to a certain extent. I mean, he he wets himself on stage. Yeah, <laughs> he clearly makes a big fool of himself. So it's very clear that they're um, they're trying to uh, point out like this isn't like some like some rock star lifestyle. Like he's a mess. He's you do not want to aspire to this. <laughs> you don't want to be this guy. But yeah, like I, the suicide part is. I I just I just felt a little iffy about that part. Like they they sort of um they tried to show as little as they could during those scenes. Like they they shot him from the waist down mostly. Yeah. Um they focused a lot on like what his hands were doing rather than showing his face. Um which was clearly a choice. Um I like may I it's possible I'm just not clear on what they were trying to show there but it does seem like it sort of serves to alienate from the moment of like how severe that is what he's No, doing. I agree with you. I think um it definitely alienates from the moment. I think largely its purpose was just to sort of shield audiences more than anything else. Um mm-hmm. like I don't think they were thinking of it as alienate from the moment so that you won't really like absorb what happened um but however i mean that is an effect right one of the effects of what they've done is you don't really fully take in the effect of his actions yeah um and that can make it seem a little uh more beautiful or glamorized i guess in a way because you don't see how ugly it can be it's also Um, I mean, it's complicated with Jackson and, you know, his struggles with substance abuse and eventual suicide. And just all of that is so bound up in his perception, obviously, of the change in music scene and his decline in stardom, things like that. You know, you have the scene where he's playing backup on a stage show, which is insane. He's supposed to be one of the biggest like country stars on the the planet at the time. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he walked into a drag bar and everybody knows him and he's a country star. So that's a I mean, he's obviously huge, right? Yeah. Um meanwhile, you have Sam Elliott's character making that they get into that fight where he says you stole my voice. Um which is a plot they don't really elaborate on. Yeah. I, don't, I have no idea what really that was supposed to be in this film. Um <laughs> I, At first I thought it was just because Bradley Cooper was doing a weird Sam Elliott impression, but <laughs> I figure there's something more to it than that. Mm, probably, but good take. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, fun tidbit about that um that tribute band when they're doing the uh Roy Orbison song. 
on um, at the Grammys. This is the kind of thing I found on IMDb. Uh, so the bass player in that band is uh, Don Was from the band Was Not Was, um, most famously known for doing the song Walk the Dinosaur. Which is pretty excellent. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a weird thing to find out, but there it is. But it's an exciting thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. I don't know. I think, um, I mean, A Star is Born, similar to um, Bohemian Rhapsody, also featured great music. It just had some, maybe some like sticking the landing problems in the mm-hmm. end. I think uh, maybe yeah. ultimately it didn't, it sometimes benefits it that it doesn't know what to say. I think it's nice to have some questions that are raised and left with audiences to answer. But when it's clear that you're just not sure how to approach a topic, that's a, a bigger issue. Um, yeah. There's a difference between intentionally sort of raising some open-ended questions and just ignoring the questions. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the topic of Jackson Maine's suicide is really, I feel like it just, you can kind of feel that they didn't really think the whole thing through and how they were going to depict that and what it was supposed to mean. Yeah. I felt like the, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say something like suicide. You sort of, if you're going to do it, you need to know what you're saying how you're saying it why you're saying it all of that needs to be clear because Mm -hmm. that's a really rightfully so touchy subject yeah i felt like they did a better job of um just exploring the ambiguities in uh both the substance abuse and the questions of authenticity in commercial art than they did um in the suicide part and because and part of that is probably just because that happens at the end and it's so sudden and they just kind of end it then they don't really have time to um process it fully but yeah i i agree that that part um they probably didn't explore as fully as they could have right it was just kind of uh foisted upon the audience it was it was i mean you can sort of see, I mean, if you, I think that if you watch the film knowing where it ends, it does sort of, it's not hard to trace how you get there. Yeah. It, it's not like it's such so left field that it, it feels like it doesn't make sense. It, it does make sense to me. Um, it just is. It's not some, a topic of his life. Like potential depression is not really explored heavily because mm-hmm. there is a difference between drug abuse and depression those are two very different things and And there is that one foreshadowing line uh where he mentions trying to hang himself with his belt um as a teenager yes Um, you're right so but it's it it's just that it's just foreshadowing you know it's there's also one line and that that's the only insight to the aspect of his character that we have prior to his actual suicide Right. So I agree with that. You're right. Um, I first of all, I'd forgotten about that line. So that's a good thing to bring up. Um, I also am thinking about how sort of like the inciting incident for him to do that for him to commit suicide is when Allie lies to him about her tour being canceled. Mm -hmm. Um, When it's really just her backing out so that she can spend time with him. I'm not sure how he, I don't know, they sort of, I know it's not trying to frame it as her fault, but it also sort of is again, getting back to the topic of whether or not the movie blames her or like 
thinks that she's wrong for pursuing the pop music path. Mm-hmm. Sort of having it end with her lying to him and then that's the inciting incident for him to go commit suicide doesn't really say good things about what they think about her choices <laughs> as a musician. Um, yeah. It sort of implies that it kind of does think it's her fault and that she has done something wrong. Um, which, I mean, to my mind, Ali does basically nothing actually wrong in this movie. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> she's a she... pretty basically flawless yeah (laughs) which is flawless in a way i was gonna say can be seen as a flaw in of the movie by many i'm sure um if anything uh if anyone's to blame for his suicide at the end um in my mind it would be the manager who's basically like you're the thing that's holding her back like yeah he's sort of basically the paul printer of this movie he's just um (laughs) He's there to like sort of antagonize their relationship and create this distance between them by pushing her closer and closer to the pop path that it's unclear if she wanted to. I mean, I know that it's clear that she's having fun when she's doing it, but based on what she was doing early in the movie, is that what she wanted? It's very hard to say. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And I don't feel like we ever really get an answer like that uh, about that. It seems like she's, enjoying um the, her newfound popularity um but it's not clear if she's really artistically satisfied if she's uh speaking to the world the way that she wants to like she explained earlier before she was famous right i mean i feel like after she pursues pop we never really see her have a moment as passionate as, as shallow until that final song when she's singing her tribute to Jackson. Um, And so that, I mean, I think that's an interesting sort of, the movie is definitely taking a side there, obviously, Um, whether or not she would have gone on as a pop star to get more sort of like personal uh, authority over her music um, is a different story. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it does seem like it's very clear, like for a long run of it, her sort of energy when she's doing her pop thing is not necessarily the same as it was when she was doing something like shallow, which was clearly about like just the lyrics and emotional investment. Whereas her energy, once she becomes a pop star is more expended on dancing or something. Yeah. Um, So I guess it's just, um, I guess the movie is trying to sort of present these two different visions of being like a sort of like iconic musician and, not necessarily making a decision either way, but some of its choices imply heavily in one direction, uh, sort of. And that's, I don't know, whether or not I agree with it is a story for another day, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's definitely, it's choices. There were choices made, I think, in some moments. But overall, overall, I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought it, it, was dramatic i thought all the performances were great it like the music was fantastic i mean shallow Um, is so good and it really made you think you know about uh celebrity and authenticity and music have you have you been out much since this movie came out like to clubs or anything um (laughs) because Uh, let me tell you. Oh, I'm at all the time, obviously. Uh, <laughs> um, no, at the no, same club where they played Bohemian Rhapsody, they played Shallow at one point. <laughs> and let me tell you, 
I mean, this was a packed bar and it went nuts for shallow. So I'm <laughs> really? just saying this movie has had an impact. Um, All right. A lot of people have loved it. Uh, nice. Granted, I'm at a gay bar. The gays love Lady Gaga, but, um, <laughs> you know, um, so. Gays also clearly keep very current with the music. And yeah, they really know what's going on <laughs> right now in the world. Um, but I mean, it's it's I don't know. It's a good song. It's a great shallow. It's awesome. Yeah. If it doesn't win an Oscar, I'm going to be kind of mad. I can't think of what else would win over it. So um, uh, nothing I've heard this year. Least, yeah, are there yeah. even any other best original song? Like, are there any other original songs that were at all released? Uh, um, I'm sure there's going to be some stuff that comes out around December. It always is. It's true. I'm trying to think of. Was there something from like, I don't know. There's probably a Disney movie that I'm I'm, I'm missing right now. Hmm. Yeah, I can't that's all I can think of. Really, any musicals that came out this year? Oh, musicals. Well, that's or just different. anything, anything with a musical element, like heavily, he- heavy on the music. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I oh well, same thing. Maybe um, some of the songs from Suspiria could be, or, um, you know, Radiohead. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Oh man, I forgot that he did. Tom mm-hmm. York did it. Yeah, um, I guess there were some movies that probably had original songs, though. Um, like Black Panther had some music written directly for it. Uh, uh-huh. I'm sure. Um, yeah, that that's that's probably one. I don't know. A Star is Born will probably win, though. So we probably don't yeah. have to think too heavily about that one. Uh, and we'll get another fantastic uh, Lady Gaga Oscars performance. What about? Oh, yeah, that's going to be great. Have they actually decided if that's going to happen, though? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they was... they usually announce that after the uh, nominations. Yeah, I was I was reading something earlier, I think today, actually, where Bradley Cooper said he was he was game for it. Um, mm-hmm. But that he wasn't sure if it was going to happen, but that if it did, he was thinking of something like really experimental and weird. And I was like, really? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> No offense, but Shallow is not like an experimental song. I mean, it's, it's a seems, great it's pretty song. straightforward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's like excellent, but it's not what I would call experimental. Um, I mean, so we'll yeah, I just looked through my letterboxed list for the year and I can't think of anything. I can't find. Oh, my gosh. Maybe a Fifty Shades Freed song. Um, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Stop. Stop subjecting the Academy audience to the Fifty Shades saga. Have they done that before? Have they been getting nominations? The first one was nominated for something. I can't remember oh, what. God. But I remember because I was trying to watch all the nominees that year and I had to watch that damn thing. Oh. And I, and I didn't even end up finishing that year. So I watched it for nothing. So you watched it for nothing? Basically. I'm looking. That was the worst. Were there? I can't believe there are awards for that I can't remember what it was nominated for. Um, well, it was definitely. Oh my gosh, yeah, the weekend song "Earned It" was nominated for best original song. That was it. That was it. And I always watch all the song nominees in their entirety, even if it's just the song that's nominated. See, that's crazy because that's one where you could definitely just skip just to the song. Yeah, I mean, in theory, yes, but I'm a completionist. No, I am with you. I totally am the same way. However. This last year, I actually did watch all of them, like every category, every nominee. Yeah, I remember. Foreign, f- 
Foreign films, shorts, documentaries, the whole lot. It was like 80-something movies. It was. I remember because I was only down by like a few. Um, one of which was like Kong Skull Island, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I think I ended up paying for Kong Skull Island because that was one of the ones I had to watch. I just remember thinking, why would I ever watch this if I am given the choice based on the it trailer? Was, but It was not a bad movie. I mean, it was nominated for uh, special effects in the... Effects right. were really good, obviously. Um, there was a weird parallel between that and another one of the nominees. Um, the Square was nominated for um, uh, Best Foreign Film. And um, the guy who does the um, the fake chimp performance in the most uh, climactic scene of that movie is... Um, a like basically a professional chimp impersonator who <laughs> did motion capture for both Kong Skull Island and the uh Planet of the Apes movie that came out that year which were both nominated so he was essentially in three oh. different nominated films that year I about the Planet of the Apes movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> that one was really good too i i did not expect to like that one at all and it was the, the newest Planet of the Apes yeah not to go off topic but i hated that movie um <laughs> i just thought it was all so stupid um i mean maybe my maybe my uh expectations were that low that it was a surprise it's possible but... yeah i it was just like a i don't know like a really like it wanted to be like moses um and it just mm-hmm. wasn't um but yeah. whatever that's neither here nor there that's irrelevant <laughs> um <laughs> Getting off on the Planet of the Apes movies again. Yeah. Ooh, can always uh go on a tangent about Planet of the Apes. Um, I guess we can talk about um, stuff that's been in the news that's been interesting recently, movie related, yeah. obviously. Well, of course, one of the biggest things that uh, hit Twitter this week in a big way, uh, the Detective Pikachu trailer dropped. Um, looks a little weird, not going to lie. <laughs> it is very bizarre and slightly unsettling to take these creatures that I grew up playing in like their little like pixelated monster version and make them furry CGI animals voiced by Ryan Reynolds. But you know what? I'm definitely going to see it. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't look terrible. It does look a little creepy. It, I mean, Charizard looks scary and Mr. Mime is legitimately terrifying, but yeah, it could be interesting. Uh, We'll see. Yeah. I have to say uh, I'm not, surprised that ryan reynolds is the voice of detective pikachu but you know i i the, love the nothing the take that, me at this point <laughs> i like the take that maybe ryan reynolds is doing this just so that he can make fun of himself for doing it in deadpool 3 gotta say oh man um, <laughs> playing a long game <laughs> if anyone is it's up. him <laughs> <laughs> how much more meta can they get honestly i don't think it can get any more meta at this point yeah. Um, Deadpool really works way over time to be super meta. Whether or not it always works is a story for whenever Deadpool 3 drops and we talk about it. I heard that that guy who did like hyper realistic 3D pictures of Pokemon online got a job on this movie. So that's that makes sense. probably why they look all weird. Yeah, well, I mean, it it I mean, it honestly, I'm pretty sure I know the exact guy you're talking about. It reminded me of his work really so 
that makes a lot of sense. I did not know that, but that seems right. Um, I don't know. It, like I said, it could be interesting. It's just Jigglypuff is hairy. I don't know what's going on. Um, it's strange. There's like an army of Bulbasaurs or something. I don't really understand. Uh, I also don't know what the movie's about. Honestly, I watched yeah. the trailer and I don't get it. Um, but all I know is it one character justice smith can hear pikachu's actual words and everybody else just hears you know pika pika all the time i don't know why but that seems to be the only plot of this film and that's coming from a like two minute trailer um <laughs> so you can imagine what the trailer looks like yeah my basic reaction as it is with a bunch of these movies that come out about licensed properties these days i'm just like yeah i guess i'll watch it <laughs> I'm sure I'll find the time somewhere. It'll be fine. I'm going to yep. be watching that detective Pokemon movie a few months. Why not? Oh, God. Detective Pikachu. Here we go. Might as well. It's about time. That's like one pre-existing property we hadn't had like live action take on. So. Yeah. It's, oh, my gosh. Live action Pokemon. Yeah. And Pokemon's kind of little more culturally current these days than it was a few years ago. Pokemon Go out and everything. Yeah, I feel like this movie probably wouldn't have happened if Pokemon Go hadn't been such a big success for the one month that it was a big success. <laughs> Man, that month was really weird, though. People were falling off cliffs. Strange all, all time to be alive. I remember it well. Uh, yeah, so that has been keeping me up at night. That and the uh, the poster dropping for the Child's Play reboot. Um, yeah. June 2019, officially getting a Child's Play reboot. I have no idea why. Um, we are still oh, in yeah. a world in which Don Mancini is making Child's Play movies in the same timeline that they have always existed in. Um, Child's Play is one of the few franchises that has not retconned anything. So it is truly bizarre to see a reboot happening in full force when, as far as we can tell, the other series that was still ongoing in the same continuity was not stopping. I don't really understand, but there you have it. Yeah. It, it seems kind of strange. And um, you'd think they could just make another Chucky movie. It's not like there's anything that extraordinary from the first movie, except the fact that there is a living doll. Um, and the later movies don't really do a lot to complicate the storyline or the mythology, like what happens in some of these horror franchises where you can see why they need a reboot. Yeah. In this case, I mean, it's like, why not just make another sequel? Right. I mean, Chucky and they do like whatever you want, which is pretty crazy because that's what they've been doing. I mean, we had, you know, you had the increasingly comedic takes on Chucky that happened mm -hmm. for a few movies. Um, that, you know, included Tiffany and then they had children and stuff like that. But that's really all it did. It didn't bring in too many weird, absurd elements that are hard to work around. Um, yeah. And then they went back to their horror roots. And both of those two movies have been pretty good. And now they're going to do this reboot thing. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll be surprised and it's not going to actually be a reboot. It's going to be like some weird somehow sequel, but also. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here um, when they do sort of a soft reboot? Um, I guess soft reboot will do where, yeah. you know, maybe it's going to sort of be a sequel, sort of a reboot. Who knows? 
Um, I can't even get keep track of all the terms they use these days. Because remember when reboot used to be uh, the new term for a remake? It's like, oh, it's not a remake. It's a reboot. And now yeah. you can't even call it a reboot. It's got to be something even more innocuous. Oh, it's just a soft reboot. <laughs> well, the old ones are still canon, but this one is... Uh, well, I guess what happened was... I don't know. It's very confusing. It's, I mean, it is. Remake implies that it's a remake of a one single film, right? And yeah. you were just remaking the movie, blah, 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 move on. Reboot means you're sort of remaking the first movie in a pre-existing series. But then if you make you're going to make more. Assuming you're going to make more and that those sequels are not going to follow what the sequels looked like in the previous mm-hmm. franchise, right? So, um, yeah, it's kind of confusing on that front. I don't really understand how we got the language we got, but here we are. And it remains to be seen what uh, Jigsaw qualifies as uh, terms. Total prequel. (laughs) That's uh, a prequel. It's a prequel, right? Jigsaw was a prequel. It's a a prequel and a sequel in a way. It was like a, what's a word for a sequel that's concurrent with earlier events? Because it's part of it is sort of concurrent, right? Oh, it, the term you're looking for is Saw 5. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. They they released a Saw 5. It was called yeah. Jigsaw. Jigsaw's a Saw 5. Yeah. I'm going to start using that, but like Saw 5 as a, as a verb, you know. I'm looking forward to it. Other movie news this week. Um, on, a, on a sadder note than um, the rebooting of child's play um the uh paramount ranch was burned down in the california wildfires um this ranch is uh has been the set for a number of um western films and uh tv shows over the years most s world um it's also been used in Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, and I believe they actually shot uh, Gunsmoke there as well, way back in the day. Um, but uh, basically, the ranch has been used for over 100 years in uh, different movies and uh, TV shows, and it has burned down. So it's a bit of Hollywood history lost there. Um, that is honestly tragic. Obviously, a lot of other tragedies coming out of the wildfires, but uh, more specifically related to the film world, uh, definitely a great loss there. It is. That's a piece of uh, an important piece of film history for a while. I mean, Westerns were huge. So yeah, it's a it is definitely sad to see that go. Yeah. And I feel like we don't really get enough Westerns these days. And now when Uh, we do, I mean, and rightfully so, I should add. They're always so like sort of like this revisionist Western or like updated Western. Um, so like, yeah, we don't really get a ton of just like old fashioned Westerns. Again, totally fine because a lot of old fashioned yeah. Westerns were also like racist and misogynistic. But um, yeah, ra- yeah. It's, we don't get Westerns anymore. And it's uh, sad to see the home of so many of them disappear. Yeah, you what could was totally the do last a... Western. Hell or uh... High Water? Uh, when their like Bone Tomahawk came out a couple years ago, that was like sort of a western, wasn't it? What what Bone Tomahawk was before Hell or High Water, though? Okay, so Hell or High Water would be the most recent. That's what Um, I'm thinking. Um, That was the most recent big one. That was 2016. Uh 
Because okay. Bone Tomahawk was 2015. Um, right. uh, and obviously Westworld still ongoing, but that's sort of that's a weird like a, hybrid of sci-fi. Western. It's like a steampunk Western or something. Yeah. And also not a movie, but <laughs> not a movie. Yes. Not a movie. Uh, it's not TV though. It's HBO. That's true. It's, um, it's what I'm looking for. Premier TV. Uh, I don't know. There's something that I'm thinking of. Western long format television. Well, right. Okay. I'm looking, I'm trying to figure out. Wow. Revisionist Western. Thank you. Um, trying to look it, at like a list of westerns to see what like maybe like the most recent ones were you know it would um, be nice to get like some really accurate accurate gritty westerns that you know show all the nastiness and the racism yeah like how terrible yeah some of these things were that would be nice i'd like that i just I feel like s- yeah there hasn't been a western in a long time not, certainly nothing as big as they made like in the 70s and I mean right I mean and westerns were like the genre and that's obviously um and oh Wind River I guess Classic. right yeah that uh, it sort of follows the the western format but uh set in Alaska right yeah that's, which is fine that's so. um westerns don't yeah that makes sense yeah interesting I guess that's the that last big really one that movie. I can think of um, which was an interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Well, we are definitely sad to see uh, the Paramount Ranch go. And yeah. that is a great loss to our film community. And some, uh, some less heavy news. Um, I think we are both baffled by Overlord <laughs> currently Overlord. sitting at a, a nice 80% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, we we've been following Overlord's progress on the Rotten Tomatoes scale recently. I this I feel like this is something that happens at least two or three times a year where there's a movie that I see um I see the trailer and I'm like, that looks pretty bad. I, I don't <laughs> think I'll see that. Um maybe I'll catch it when it's on Netflix and I'm bored, but there's no way I'm gonna see that in the theater. And then it comes time for it to be released and I check the Rotten Tomatoes and it's astoundingly high, like way higher yeah. than I would have expected. And that is definitely what's happened. with Overlord. Um, I mean, there are so many elements to Overlord that I like just from watching the trailer, you're like, there's no way. Well, it just it's seems like, yeah, it's it just... Nazi setting. Like <laughs> there are like some weird zombie hybrid human things happening. There's like the camp factor of the music that they use in the trailers. Like, I don't know. It just seems like such a cra- cash grab horror movie. It's like zombies and Nazis, like some sort of spooky experiment. Come yeah. on. It's a horror movie. You'll watch it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, nah, nah, that looks ridiculous. But apparently, like, people actually have good stuff to say about it. So, yeah. I mean, that's, I'm going to have to check it out now. <laughs> Well, sure. I'm definitely going to watch it. It'll be amazing, but uh, it I'm sure it'll at least be worth a watch. I'm excited. You, you don't get Honestly. to be 80% on Rotten Tomatoes scale without having at least something worth watching for, in my mind. Right. And I will say that the critics' consensus calls it, it calls it a B movie. 
So yeah, you know what I'm in. If it's, I mean, <laughs> if it leans into its B movie status, then maybe it got us. We all got it wrong. That's all I'm yeah. saying. There's nothing wrong with being a B movie if you own it. You know, if you know that that's your lane and you lean into it, it can be good. For sure. On the other side of the Rotten Tomato scale, we have some movies that uh, I kind of thought might do well uh, on that scale and aren't currently, including uh, The Girl in the Spider's Web. Not looking great for those guys. Yeah. Um, Can't say I'm surprised. Based on the trailer and everything, it seemed like it was a pretty... um, Didn't seem like they really put all their energy into that movie. Um, Yeah, I've just heard like no excitement at all for this movie. Yeah, I guess it's not surprising, but it is strange that it's in the same series as the girl with the dragon tattoo, which made such a big hit several years ago. I guess what's strange to me about it is that, I mean, it's obviously doesn't feature a returning cast or a returning director. Um, Mm -hmm. But is it just like sort of like a contractual obligation? Is that why this movie is being released? I don't know. It's it's very strange because, um, you know, so Steve Larson wrote other books after Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest, and uh, something else. I can't remember. But uh, like this, I think, was the first one that he didn't write that was written after his death, but in the same series. And so it's kind of odd that this is the one they chose to make, uh, not making the other movies, uh, not making movies based on the other books that he actually wrote and that directly follow um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Right. And yeah, so it's just very strange. And obviously also kind of disappointed that they didn't make those movies um with the same cast from the first one with david fincher directing because yeah, i mean at least i thought that that was a really good movie and yeah i liked fun. i liked the original or not the original we should clarify but i liked the david fincher girl with the dragon tattoo that was very mm-hmm. good i'd love to see more but here we are um similarly the new harry potter uh adventure fantastic beasts the crimes of grindelwald not looking great. It's uh, below a 60% right now, 58 to be exact. Um, I guess it's not totally shocking. It had, I feel like the the new Harry Potter adventure has had a sort of mixed reception in general. Uh, but, you know, the first Fantastic Beast movie did have a nice 70 some percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I thought it was a fun little adventure. And uh, I guess there's a question of fatigue here, whether or not they need to keep doing a five movie series based yeah, on better this character hope. who was just an author of a book. I don't They I better don't hope their audience isn't fatigued because they're <laughs> they're gonna be getting really fatigued by the fifth one. Um, well, I mean you see um it happened with Solo, right? Uh Solo a Star Wars story. It's maybe a wasn't their best gamble. Yeah. So it can happen to Harry Potter too, is all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know. It it's again it's one of those movies where i'm like well i guess i'm gonna see it it's oh yeah franchise that i care about but that's like that's all the movies are at least the big blockbusters these days it's all these franchises you gotta keep up with them gotta keep up with um, every single one <laughs> um it's kind of exhausting though the franchising right um yeah 
but I guess, I mean, I'm not unexcited by the Crimes of Grindelwald's trailer. It looks like there could be some fun there. Um, I gotta say, I was uh, shocked by some of the returning cast. I, for some reason, thought Ezra Miller's character died in the last movie. Um, Turns out he's back. Mm. I don't understand what's going on there. Maybe I missed something pretty serious, but... um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not thrilled to see Johnny Depp, but otherwise, could be fun. Yeah, it looks like we're just we're getting another wizard action movie. Um, yeah, it is unfortunate that uh, Grindelwald is now Johnny Depp because I thought that um, Colin, Colin Farrell? Farrell did a pretty good job in the last one. I mean, and, I love Colin Farrell as an actor. Yeah. On the whole, I think I, he's great. Yeah, I I, I love him. I thought. Um, he built that character up pretty well, and now we gotta experience somebody else in that role. So we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it, it's something that I'm gonna see. I'm not sure. really hyped about it. I, I'm sure I'll have fun because you know it's Harry Potter and it's gonna be exciting, and there's gonna be a lot of magic and like unique um, scenarios played out through magic. But sure. uh, yeah, I wish I, I were more excited, though. Yeah, same. Like, I, I can't I can't get excited about it the way that I was about the actual Harry Potter movies. And, you know, it's clear these are just more Harry Potter movies at this point. The whole Fantastic Beasts. Uh, it it, uh, it it barely hangs together. It's a series of its own. It's it's just Harry Potter prequels. It's the Star Wars prequels for Harry Potter. Right. Um, so, um, I mean, we'll we'll see what sort of legacy uh, that plays out into. But uh, at least in my experience, the prequels for a well-loved series like this can be a little underwhelming. Oh, you're right. I think you're right. Well, aside from the crimes of Grindelwald, uh, what do you have looking forward in the next week that you plan to see? Um, well, definitely seeing Overlord now, apparently. <laughs> 80% Rotten Tomatoes Overlord. Yeah, that's um, top of my list, I think, probably. Yeah. Right now, so. and, and seeing Grindelwald. Um, uh, I did want to check out Widows, which oddly is something that I hadn't even heard of before I saw the trailer recently. And now apparently it's coming out like next week. Yeah. So I've been uh, seeing the trailers for months now. I say um been pretty excited. I think the cast is all around excellent. Um, Steve McQueen is a great director. Yeah. I'm excited I, to see him. I'm, I'm going to see everything that he makes. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the, the screenplay was written by Gillian Flynn. Um, kind of an exciting interesting thing you know she wrote uh gone girl sharp objects recently oh, okay um so you know that could be interesting um so i'm excited i think that widows looks really good um if it weren't for overlord's surprise success yeah. and my predilection for horror widows would probably be top of my list for this mm-hmm. coming week um yeah. however overlord is taking priority right now but oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i'm also interested in uh seeing this um about uh Gary Hart uh running for president um this it's uh directed by Jason Reitman 
starring Hugh Jackman as uh, Gary Hart. Um, I don't know. It, it looks kind of interesting. Um, these sort of political intrigue stories are always kind of fun and um, definitely in a time where uh, there's a lot of political maneuvering <laughs> going on. You don't say. Might be, <laughs> might be interesting <laughs> to see uh, see the politics different era played out on the screen i mean the gary hart story is is a big one i think it's arguably one of the right precursors to how we got to where we are now um Mm -hmm. somebody that's worth looking at so yeah i think it's i'm definitely interested in that film as well i have really hadn't heard a lot about it until the past like two or three weeks and then i started seeing trailers a lot more for it um Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. Um, I kind of thought it was going to be one of those movies that sort of slips under the radar, but I'm glad it's getting some some attention right now. Hopefully it's good. I've heard great things about Jackman's performance. Yeah. Um, and um, God, this, this is a ton that I'm still trying to catch up. I uh, haven't seen a whole lot in October and November so far, but um, other ones I might be seeing soon mid 90s uh... oh god you can't pay me enough <laughs> um i do begrudgingly plan to check out the grinch at some point um i've seen every other grinch adaptation so why not <laughs> I'll, I'll probably end up being forced to see that um out of relationship obligations but um <laughs> i i will protest heavily um mm, I, i'm a very big fan of the Boris Karloff original and uh, I mean it's so good that's my big yeah. problem here. I don't care that we recently had the live action mm-hmm. there's such a great animated Grinch out there yeah exactly like um, why like okay make an uh, make a live action version because that has but like we already the, have an animated <laughs> what's the whole reason for this is just to get like Benedict Cumberbatch to play the lead I don't really understand what we're doing here um, I don't know but um, you know it's the holidays probably end up seeing it in december or something same i'll probably see it then too or uh, thanksgiving weekend knowing me um or uh that or the nutcracker in the four realms probably oh boy. i'll I, probably I'm end up there at some point trying to avoid that one just at all costs <laughs> i mean i avoid those alice movies that disney put out just terrible so I just this I movie don't... looks the same Get how you can turn uh, the Nutcracker into like some sort of giant battle-based epic film. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. It's like they mixed it up with the Chronicles of Narnia or something. Right. I don't understand it. But on the other hand, it yeah. has Kira Knightley as the Sugar Plum Fairy. So what more do you want, really? <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, Kira Knightley. Uh, <laughs> always, always go in for those roles. <laughs> the hard hitting, difficult, <laughs> challenging role of the Sugar Plum Fairy. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to see Beautiful Boy. I uh, do want to see Beautiful Boy. Lots of that is the casting for me. But. Yes. I know you have a, a predilection for Timothy Chalamet. Yes, I really like, like him. He's great. Um, but you know, Steve Carell is also in it. That's a plus. Yeah, yeah, and he, he uh, has done some pretty good dramatic roles over the last couple of years. So it's always good to see him uh, 
branch out a little bit like this. Yeah, I think so too. Um, we got another one coming up not long from now. Marwa, that looks pretty right, pretty interesting. I hope it's good. Mm-hmm. But that's neither. I mean, that's not right now, so not really relevant to the conversation. But mm-hmm. yeah, Beautiful Boy is still playing right now, and I do plan to see it. That and a, I haven't seen First Man yet, which I feel like is possibly offensive to like the film community or something. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I really need to go back and see that. Cause, um, I obviously really like Damien Chazelle, but also I'm a very big, uh, space nerd and especially like the Apollo program. So I feel like it's pretty much a crime that I haven't seen that yet. That's true. Uh, I think it is, but yeah, I just had to find the time to go back and see that. It also uh, it does star Corey Stoll, who was in the first season of House of Cards. So, you know, oh. <laughs> if you're a big fan of House of Cards out there, um, you might want to see it. It has Peter Russo in it, who had a pretty tragic end. Um. <laughs> yes, yes. yes I, I do like Peter Russo. Yeah. Um, still trying to work my way through the last season of house of cards but uh and gave up in season three i guess we can we can talk about that on our side podcast uh buzzed about uh (laughs) premium tv subscriptions which is really just you talking and me trying (laughs) to keep up um i could talk to you all day about game of thrones starting its promo today but uh you know (laughs) they did that it's it's happening game of thrones final season we're getting there yeah been building up to it to a long time. I'm really gonna cry. It's fine. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that probably wraps us up. Yeah, wraps us up for now. Um, but yeah, those are our plans for the next week or so. We're gonna try to see some more of these movies and uh, get back to you on that. See what we think about some of them. Yeah, we'll definitely be discussing. The new uh, Fantastic Beasts movie. I know that much. Sure will. And hopefully if we both get out to Overlord, it looks like a... We'll tell you if it actually deserves that that certified fresh. Yeah. Yeah, so for now, we're still sort of feeling out the format, getting used to it. This is definitely first time for both of us podcasting. Um, and we're both doing this remotely, so there's all sorts of technical issues we're still trying to work out. But uh, <laughs> I feel like this went all right so far, and uh, we're going to try to come back to you as soon as we can. Absolutely. Bring more movie intrigue to you. Looking forward to it. All right. So until next time, um, just uh, try to get out there and have some fun, and we'll see you at the See you next time.